Welcome to Talk Plus Water, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of water with those making waves. My name is Todd Botler, your host, and today is a special Talk Plus Water. It's the first Talk Plus Water where we're finally going to be out in the field uh, talking about the resources as we are, you know, looking at them. And it's something I wanted to do for quite a while. And uh, finally, here, uh, October 28th, 2021, we're doing it. And uh, I'm out in Schlacker County. Did I say that right? Menard County. I'm in Menard County. Okay. I got close. Uh, so I'm in Menard County. And I'm overlooking the San Saba River. And I'm with my special guest, Kyle Garmany, who is a hydrologist with the Nature Conservancy. Kyle, how are you doing? Doing well, Todd. Thanks for having me. So um, we're going to be talking about uh, the Nature Conservancy and some of its activities here in Texas with regard to water, uh, with a you know a focus more or less on the San Saba River today. And just for those of you who are not familiar with the San Saba. Uh, or Menard County, we're about three hours west of Austin. And today is a, a beautiful, cool, breezy day. There's literally not a single cloud in the sky. Uh, you know, I don't know, somehow I accidentally timed this very well because I was like trying to avoid coming out here when it was hot. And it looks like we've done that. So, so Kyle, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, first of all. Start, start there. Sure. Well, uh, I grew up here in Texas. Um, you know, I uh, spent my summers as a kid uh, in between um, playing on the Blanco River and fishing in Trinity Bay and Galveston Bay. Um, I, you know, that was probably where I uh, first um, really fell in love with, with nature and the outdoors and uh, found a real appreciation uh, for for the waters uh, around me. Um, I, you know, left uh, Texas, uh, moved to Northern California to go to school where I studied uh, environmental engineering and, and water resources. I came back um, in around 2009 uh, with a degree in hydrology and I came back and started working for the state as a hydrologist um, and was there for several years before coming here to the Nature Conservancy. So what I... Uh, really was impressed with um, when I looked at your uh, your background, uh, among other things, is that, you know, you worked for the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality and the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department and uh, also, I guess, the Texas Water Development Board for a little while. And so, you know, if you're if you're familiar with water management in Texas, you know, those are the, the really the three state agencies statewide agencies that are involved with water day in and day out. And so, you know, that's a unique uh, background to have, you know, that kind of familiarity with with all three of those. Yeah, I, I bounced around a little bit for sure. When I came back to Texas, as I said, I started working for uh, the Texas uh, Environmental, the TCQ, Texas Commission on Environmental Quality. Um, I worked there working on, uh, specifically on, on water rights uh, issues. And at the time when I came back, you know, 2010, uh, you know, 2011, we were having the, the worst one year drought on record. So it was really interesting time to be working for that agency um, on water resource issues. And there was a real high demand for practitioners working on water. Um, you know, I spent a, a short uh, period of time at the Water Development Board working on hydrographic surveying where I was really focused on, um, you know, the research and development of data to help uh, municipalities understand how quickly they would be running out of water. So we were surveying lakes and reservoirs to try to determine how much water exactly, how much water was left um, there in those reservoirs. Um, and then I, I left from there uh, back to TCQ for a while, uh, working as a, as a hydrologist on water availability modeling, really um, working through the technical aspects of the, the, the models that we use to, to allocate and manage uh, water resources in the state. Um, and then for uh, several years at Texas Parks and Wildlife, where I was able to work on um, environmental flows, science, and, and policy, 
and really where I developed um, the, uh, the the sort of skill set that you know allowed me to understand how to apply uh, uh, both science and policy to, um, to to inform better management of, of our rivers, including the development of um, the the strategies that I'm working on now, which are uh, market-based strategies to to influence um, river management and, and restore and protect uh, rivers. Okay, great. And, uh, you know, uh, I have to make sure that I ask you this question because I ask everybody this question. You know, how did you first get involved with water or what, you know, decide that's what I want to be working on for the rest of my life? Yeah, I think, you know, as I mentioned before, I grew up as a kid, you know, playing on, on the rivers in the hill country and, and spent a lot of time fishing on the coast. And, you know, I knew at that time that I wanted to do something working outdoors. Um, you know, I just really felt um, a, a desire to, to be a good steward of the environment and, and felt there was an opportunity after, um, you know, I left high school to, to you know, to, to follow in that interest. And when I was uh, in Arcata in Northern California at Humboldt State, um, there there was a, a course that I took on um, fluvial geomorphology, like really understanding the way that rivers behave and change over time. Uh, and, and I felt that that was really the focus of what I wanted to do was work specifically on rivers um, and, and with a physical science um, uh, sort of focus. And, and I think that's, you know, I've kind of followed that lead ever since. Um, although, you know, now my work kind of bridges from both the, the, the science, application of science and research to really working on, on strategy. Gotcha. And so a little more about where we are right now. This is your, your, your family's home um, in Menard County on, overlooking the San Saba River. Yes. Yeah, we were fortunate enough in the, um, the past uh, year, um, my my grandparents and my parents uh, moved from Houston out to San Angelo, um, and uh, my my grandparents were able to uh, purchase this property overlooking the river. Um, it's a nice location for uh, me because so much of my work happens in the Upper Colorado River Basin, working on the Llano and the and the Sa- San Saba. Um, it's also a nice, you know, as you said, it's a few hours outside of Austin and it's only an hour f- away from San Angelo where my folks live. Well, it's a it's a beautiful sight here on a, a great fall day. You can hear the wind chimes here on the porch and also uh, me uh, kicking the tennis ball to your dog. who's running through the leaves and up and down this hill and uh, doesn't he's not tired yet. He's staring at that ball, waiting for us to kick it again. Um. So tell us something about the Nature Conservancy of Texas and, and its interest in water. Well, you know, TNC is a conservation organization that's, that's mission is to protect uh, the, the, the land and waters on which all life depends. Um, we've been around uh, for over 65 years and working in 75 countries globally. Um, our work really focuses on, on land, uh, freshwater, ocean, and climate, and uh, you know climate mitigation, uh, climate change mitigation work. Um, in TNC, Texas, uh, since 1964, has conserved nearly a million acres of land and protected over 200 miles of, of rivers and streams throughout the state. Um, you know, it's that uh, that commitment and focus to water conservation. Uh, that that has allowed me to do the work that I'm doing now, um, and and really feel uh, you know that it's a, a great opportunity for uh, TNC Texas and an emerging field of this you know water transactions that we're working on to restore and protect rivers around the state of Texas. And uh, about that, I guess more specifically, um, the I guess the San Saban River is not really the only. Um, river that you, you've got some transactions going on. Yeah, that's right. Um, over the past five years, we've developed transactions in uh, the Trinity Basin, um, in along um, and around Galveston Bay. Uh, we have worked on the Guadalupe. Uh, we've worked in the Upper Colorado on the, the Llano and the San Saba. 
um, some some work that's uh, still developing on the Pernalis River. Um, you know, the, the Upper Trinity is is an area of focus. Um, and and yeah, we continue to look for opportunities uh, across the state. Uh, we do quite a bit of um, uh, work to evaluate uh, areas where hydrologic alteration or reductions in stream flow are occurring to really prioritize where we put our resources. Um, but but we're excited that, you know, in the past five years, we've transacted, you know, over 200,000 acre feet of water a- across those basins and and really looking forward to more. And so are, are most of those transactions for for terms, a specific number of years or or some of them permanent? Yeah, it's really dependent on, you know, the the transaction strategy, which is to say we evaluate what the conservation priority is with any transaction. And then we work with uh, the, you know, the seller to determine what their goals are and really try to find an opportunity where those things converge. Um, You know, for example, um, the majority of transactions that we've done in the upper Colorado, including the San Saba and the Llano, I've really focused on putting water back in stream when it's needed most in, in, in summer uh, periods. So uh, some of those agreements have been what we call dry year lease arrangements. So we have a term of, say, five years, and the agreement allows us to, to call on that water, request forbearance of the diversion of that water in a single year. Um, but we've also executed you know, longer term uh, agreements where you know, a, a water user may be um, utilizing uh, 500 acre feet of water, and we've been able to uh, reduce their overall, you know, uh, water allotment over a five year term by by half or a portion, so that we're ensured that over that five year term, that you know that that water will stay in stream throughout the year. Um, yeah, gotcha. So, thinking about your dry year option agreements, do you usually base those on? Like a certain, uh, you know, flow level at the the uh, point where the permit's located, or do you just have a an arrangement where you say, well, look, when you know, we'll contact you before we need you to to forbear, um, you know, based on some other condition. Yeah, they. It, it really depends, you know, on um, you know, on the agreements that are run of river, which is to say, you know. Uh, there's a diversion point along the river and the irrigator or user has the ability to divert. We often try to look uh, at the nearest uh, stream gauge to look at when conditions on the river are getting to a point where we want to ensure that that water stays in stream. Um, all of these things are, are negotiated and determined within contract. Um, we also have agreements in place where it's a reservoir operator. And so it's based on, you know, flow conditions downstream of the reservoir where we're requesting releases from the reservoir uh, to increase flows in those system. Uh, so, you know, for those forbearance agreements or agreements that, that trigger some release of water, it, it's always dependent on conditions within the river. But, you know, where we're monitoring could be the location of the diversion point or it could be a gauge, uh, a USGS gauge upstream or downstream of that location. So let's um, let's talk a little bit <clears throat> more specifically about the San Saba River. Can you uh, you know describe it generally? I guess for our listeners. Yeah, the San Saba is one of the last free flowing rivers in Central Texas. Um, it's a spring fed stream on the western extent of the Texas Hill Country. Um, the, the river rises in eastern Slyker County, and it picks up most of its flow. Um, around Fort McCabot, where there's a spring complex that provides flow there, um, and and a few others on the way down. Uh, But generally, it flows from that primary spring at Fort McCabot about 150 miles to its confluence with the Colorado. And I know that uh, there have been some issues out here in terms of uh, surface water uh, being diverted uh, by shallow uh, groundwater wells and, and things like that in the past. I mean, I'm just curious if there's anything you can tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's certainly been conflict as it relates to scarcity in this river in recent years, especially during the drought period. 
Um, you know, there are sections of the river that have gone dry in recent droughts. Um, and, you know, there's uh, a Fish and Wildlife Service has recently uh, proposed listing of several mussel species here. So the, the you know, the water scarcity uh, that's driven conflicts in, on the San Saba is, you know, it's one of those places where you can see that playing out. Um, you know, TNC's role over the past five years has been to uh, to inform a, a better just understanding of the um, the groundwater surface water interaction, uh, and we've done that um, by collecting data, both you know through gain loss measurements, through long term monitoring stations of surface water, as well as groundwater wells, so that you know the conversations that are happening, the conflict that's occurring, and the discussions and management decisions that are being made can be informed by 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 real data, by, by, you know, science. And, and so we see our role at this point to, to provide that information to uh, inform water management and discussions that are happening around, you know, what the contributions to, um, you know, the water scarcity issues are, but also to provide solutions where we are working, as I said, on the developments of uh, things like water transactions to uh, put water back in stream when it's needed most. And, the San Saba, um, yeah, I'm sure it's it's uh, fully appropriated. Um, there, if not, probably really over appropriated. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about that? What that means, so that everybody understands that. Yeah. So you know, in Texas, we have a water rights system that's based on prior appropriation, which is just a doctrine that uh, provides water rights in a, in a sort of system of priority where. The oldest water rights are the most senior and the junior, the most junior. Um, and, you know, what uh, sort of fully appropriated would mean is that all of the water is um, allocated through those water rights so that there's no more water in the system than can be diverted. Um, it's likely that this system is over allocated. Um, it's it certainly in, in some, you know, or many years it, it is so. Uh, it, so so that that's you know, what that means just in terms of the allocations of water through water rights. Um, but, you know, this is not the only river that sees scarcity and, and is likely, you know, fully or over allocated in Texas. So we see these water scarcity issues happening a- across the state where, you know, in, in drought years or in dry periods, sections of the river run dry. Um, and, and that has real impacts, you know, as discussed uh you know, there are on this river, there are mussel species that are under proposed listings. Um, but across Texas, we have seen uh, declines in freshwater biodiversity. I mean, you know, roughly 50 percent of all of our uh, Texas native fishes are, are now gone. So um, it's finding opportunities to work within that uh, water rights system that, you know, having um, market incentives for water users to change their behavior that we feel is one opportunity to, you know, move the needle on conservation and, and freshwater protection and restoration. So uh, to, to make a, a shameless plug for something else that I do uh, in uh, Texas, Texas plus water uh, recently, actually the last issue in, in September, there's an interview there with the uh, point person for the Center for Biological Diversity on these mussel listing proposals for Texas, the the six central Texas mussels. And as you said, um, some of them are here, I I, I suppose. And, um, you know, that'll be, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens, you know, having worked uh, for a couple of decades on the Guadalupe River where, um, you know, there are endangered species in the springs and um, the endangered whooping crane down at the end of the river, you know, how that um, will impact, uh, you know, the the way that people use this river and other rivers where, you know, the mussel listings um, are approved. Yeah, I think that's that's right. Um, you know, I, but I also see this as an opportunity you know, the uh, any um, federal listing uh, comes with, um, you know, the potential for conservation agreements and funding through the federal government. Um, you know, I think that the sort of uh, flow restoration and protection work that we're doing here um, is, is essential to 
uh, providing uh, future protection for those species and and it also, you know, agreements that um, that work for the landowners as well. You know, I think the the transactions that we've developed here um, they not only provide uh, protection for the river and and habitat uh, for those species as well as other wildlife, um, but they also provide a drought resilience uh, and protection for producers. Uh, you know, for um, a water user like an irrigator along the river. Um, times of drought occur and and they already impact their operations. You know, having the ability to enter into agreement that contemplates, you know, future dry periods and allows us to offset foregone profit from that producer and provide them for the ability to build in drought resilience, both, you know, economically within their um, uh, within their operations. I think it's a win win both for, you know, users of the river as well as for you know, the environment. So, you know, thinking about the San Saba and the transactions that you, you've got going here on this river, um, tell us a little bit about some of those transactions and how that how that developed. You know, I'm, one of the things I'm curious about is, you know, did you uh, did you go around and talk to water right holders um, or was there uh you know, something that um, was maybe in the local newspaper and then, you know, people contacted you, you know, how did you make those connections and, and, and sit down and work out those agreements? Yeah. You know, environmental water transactions are voluntary trades between willing, you know, sellers and buyers. um, And they, they focus on that change of behavior around water use for the, uh, for, to provide benefit, to the environment. Um, our initial efforts to engage with landowners uh, across Texas have really been, you, you know, as I mentioned earlier, evaluating um, through statistical analysis, desktop hydrology, and geospatial analysis of, of sort of priority conservation areas, where those um, impacts of scarcity are occurring, and then where we think we can move the needle through transactions. Uh, you know, our partners at Texas Parks and Wildlife, uh, we worked with them to develop uh, an um, environmental flows information toolkit, a dashboard that can be used to answer some of those questions. Um, so we started there with the science to really, you know, ask the question, where should we be working? Um, you know, the answer in one of those uh, locations is here on the San Saba. There are some others on the Llano um, and, and those other locations that I mentioned before that we're working. You know, the outreach that occurs after you determine where to work is really ideally through uh, our partners. You know, we love to work with with organizations that already have, um, you know, a foothold in those communities that we can use as, um, you know, a a conduit to get the information and and start those conversations around what an agreement can look like. Um, So we've worked, you know, on the Lano with uh, the, the Lano Watershed Alliance, um, we have worked with uh, Galveston Bay Foundation. Um, we've worked with Audubon. Uh, you know, we've worked with other partners like Texas Water Trade to help facilitate conversations to, to find those opportunities and start those conversations. But ultimately, it comes down to, you know, direct engagement. Um, you know, I've found uh, that in those cases where we didn't know anyone and uh, we tried to cold call through, say, a letter, do some outreach like that, that we had pretty limited success. And, you know, I think that's understandable. These are, um, you know, long-held private property rights. Um, And so, you know, your ability to engage and discuss any sort of, you know, change of behavior or transaction uh, is best to come from a face-to-face conversation. So uh, I'm curious, has the River Authorities been... Um, you know, interested in, in working with you all on this, you know, because I've got a background working at a river authority and uh, spent a lot of time trying to get people interested in, in environmental water rights and transactions related to that. I'm just curious, you know, in what you've been doing, um, have they been receptive or, or helpful? Yeah, most definitely. You, you know, the 
the larger river authorities in the state, including LCRA and, and, and GBRA, we continue to stay in close contact with them um, and, and discuss overlapping priorities. Um, you know, I think that there's a mutual interest in, um, in our developments of these, you know, transactions to, to help support the shared conservation goals that we have. So I think they're supportive. Um, you know, we, uh, we certainly lead our work again, based on the science and our conservation priorities. Um, but, uh, you know, the conversations that we've had and the communications with those organizations have been nothing but, you know, supportive. Um, there are smaller, you know, river authorities or, or surface water management districts like uh, the um, uh, Menard County uh, Irrigation Water District here that uh, manages the, the county's surface water rights. And, and they have also been, you know, really engaged and supportive of the work that we're doing. Um, we've also been able to, uh, where it makes sense with those uh, sort of what I would call institutional water right holders, um, help them to uh, gain access to funding uh, to, to execute agreements um, or to improve uh, irrigation infrastructure where through our engagement and work with them, um, their ability to improve those that infrastructure results in some conserved water and that conserved water is then dedicated to the environment. So it's just another um, way that we've been able to uh, develop these environmental water transactions and implement them with uh, with institutional water right holders. Tell everybody your dog's name. <laughs> this is Fickle. Fickle. Fickle is like, he doesn't want to let go of this ball, but he wants me to throw it at the same time. So yeah. Yeah. she'll go all day. So, uh, and just to, just to fill in the gap there, uh, LCRA is Lower Colorado River Authority and GBRA is Guadalupe Blanco River Authority. That's right. And um, so, uh, you know, when you talk about water markets and the, you know, the kind of things that you're doing here, you know, there's water markets and there's water markets, I guess. I mean, you, you've got the Edwards Aquifer Authority, which is a really a, a formal water market with right. regulatory system set up to manage and um you know this is a little bit different and and so I, you know i'm just kind of curious you know that i i'm thinking that um you know what you're doing here demonstrates that it's not always necessary to have a formal system set up probably be helpful but um you can achieve goals related to um, water right transactions for the environment, maybe in the absence of those? Yeah, I think there are a number of enabling conditions for water markets. Um, and I, I believe that, you know, across the state of Texas, we uh, they, they're there, right? I mean, we have a clear entitlements through through water rights. Um, you know, we have the ability to, to, to trade those uh, among uh, willing sellers and buyers. Um, you know, the one that uh, I think people um, are most skeptical of in Texas is that we don't have closed basins and we don't have a cap. Um, but the, the reality is that through Senate Bill 3, we now have a, a limitation on, you know, new water right allocations, right? I mean, there are clear limitations to um, being able to go in and get a new surface water right in, in pretty much most of the basins in Texas. And so I would argue that that provides a functional limit on your ability to, to receive that. And so we do have a cap. Um, and so while basins aren't officially closed in Texas, I mean, there, there's, there are limitations to, to receiving a, a new water right and allocation in Texas. And, um, and so I think those primary enabling conditions for water markets exist. Um, you know, I think the limited market activity that we've seen uh, is really just due to a lack of um, facilitation for those trades to occur. There are plenty of transactions that are occurring uh, between, you know, irrigator to irrigator or a municipality purchasing irrigation rights. The new, um, you know, sort of nascent part of, I would say, this work that we're doing in this strategy is that we're now as the environmental community entering into this space and representing, you know, the river itself and engaging in transactions, uh, which all require a, a formal 
you know, regulatory change in the beneficial use of those water rights, uh, we add in-stream uh, use to those rights so that we can legally protect that water in-stream when it's necessary for, for the river. So, you know, you, you hit on some interesting things there. There's, you know, a lot of discussion right now about Senate Bill 3 and, and uh, you know, whether it has been successful or not in, you know, addressing environmental flow needs. And um, I know that, you know, having been there um, when all this was happening uh, in 2000, I think it was 2007 when that bill was passed, um, you know, there was a, a, a thought that uh, there would be more of these transactions, I guess, that would have happened sooner. And, and it, it seems like um, they now are starting to, you know, get a little momentum, um, which, you know, it would have been nice if it, if they'd gotten more momentum closer to 2007, but, but it, it does seem like now that there, there is more progress than it had been occurring um, over the last 10 or 15 years in that area. Yeah, I think, you know, these were one of the defined voluntary strategies to meet, you know, those environmental flow needs for the state. Um, and I do think that we're beginning to gain traction, uh, certainly from, you know, the work that that I have seen in the past five years in growing this program. Um, also, other, you know, new uh, organizations that are that uh, conservation organizations that are kind of entering into this space and starting to get engaged. Um, you know, I mentioned uh, Texas Water Trade, uh, Galveston Bay Foundation, um, Audubon. Uh, we've had support from Texas Parks and Wildlife, you know, both with the, the science uh, to support the transactions as well as, um, you know, to potentially partnering on some funding to, to get this work done. So, so yeah, I think while it's been a, a slow start, you know, the groundwork has been laid. It was laid before I, you know, arrived and started working on these strategies. I, I think one of the catalysts, honestly, for the work is the scarcity, the challenge of scarcity that we're facing. And as our population grows um, and the, the conflicts over water and, and you know, uh, the, the demands for uh, fresh, clean water continue to outpace the supplies, then there will have to be a, um, a, a tool like, you know, the, the water market or the environmental water transaction to help, uh, you know, meet those demands and those different interests within you know, the water user groups. So you, you mentioned uh, Texas Water Trade. And uh, if listeners are really interested in the project they have going out, um, I guess, that, is it north here, northwest of here, Comanche Springs? Where yeah, it'd be west, west of here. West of here. There's a previous podcast episode um, on that project at Comanche Springs. So one thing that, you know, I'm curious about, I think that, you know, the generational change in leadership, many water institutions, particularly river authorities that you've seen going on the last you know, five to 10 years, maybe creates an opportunity for more projects like this. The idea was really new to the, the kind of previous cadre of of folks who were leading river authorities and, you know, many of them were not too sure about it. And, and now the idea has been around quite a while and you have a, a younger group who's kind of, you know, taking the reins now and, and, you know, I've just kind of wonder if you, you see that there's a more general acceptance of the, you know, the, the concept of practice. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, there's reluctance to, to change or try new strategies, I think, regardless of, um, you know, the, what you're working on. Um, and in this space, you know, as I said, I think we've, you know, we have the enabling conditions, the groundwork has been laid, um, the work is starting to, you know, to, to gain steam. I mean, we've, you know, grown in, in the past five years, as I said, we're up to 
over 200,000 acre feet, um, you know, transacted and, and protected and in, in stream flow. And I, I, I do think that there's um, a, a shift occurring. Um, and I don't know how much of that is due to generational change or more just the, the clear need to address the challenge of water scarcity and, you know, the overall limited uh, number of strategies that we have to do that. So uh, the all the projects that the Nature Conservancy has around Texas uh, related to these war transactions, are you involved with the transactions in other places or are you, or are you just focused here on the San Saba? Yeah, I work statewide. Okay. And so I lead our, you know, our, our water transactions work. I mean, my official title is Water and Agriculture Program Director. Um, but these transactions are just one of the strategies that we use uh, to address water scarcity. Um, you, you know, TNC is working to, uh, you know, to, to work with our partners to protect and restore water resources around the state. Um, we, you know, through land protection, uh, we and, and stewardship, we work to protect iconic Texas places, um, uh, rivers and springs, places like uh, the Devil's River and Independence Creek, um, or as you mentioned, you know, the, the Edwards Aquifer. Um, we're also fostering local, state and federal policy improvements, including the work that we're doing with, with local governments on groundwater protection, uh, informing the, the science uh needs to to better manage those systems. Um, we're also, you know, influencing the way that uh, the reservoirs and dam operations are being done. Uh, we are restoring, you know, river flows, uh, including um, it, on, on Caddo, at Caddo Lake with, uh, with, with a reservoir reoperations project in that system. And then we're using these financial incentives, you know, like as we talked about the, the environmental water transactions, uh, things like water funds, and uh, you, you know, as I said before, incentivizing agriculture producers uh, to change the way that they're managing through irrigation efficiency, you know, the use of cover crops or other technologies that promote water conservation. You know, anything that we can do to to, to move the needle um, on you know the protection and restoration of rivers in Texas, it, it's such an essential um, you know. Component of of the work that we're doing at TNC, you know, water is 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 really, um, you know, it, it connects so much of what we're doing. It's about human health. It's about the economy. It's it's nature. Um, so we really feel like, you know, our work um, to address water scarcity is really, you know, one of the primary challenges, and you can't solve other environmental problems in Texas without addressing water. And yeah, I guess really it's a, a, a testament to that, that the, you know, Nature Conservancy here in Texas uh, is now led by um, the former general manager of San Antonio River Authority, um, Suzanne Scott, who I've known for a long time um, and who, uh, you know, brings this breadth of knowledge about and experience about with water here in the state. Um, and that's got to be a big benefit to uh, the kinds of things that you're, you're working on. Absolutely. I'm so excited when Suzanne, you know, came on. I mean, it was a clear commitment to, to freshwater in Texas by the Nature Conservancy. And, and we have just been, you know, hit the ground running. I mean, her impact on the work that, uh, that we're doing in freshwater in Texas um, was clear, you know, from day one, just based on the relationships that she had and the knowledge that she has surrounding, you know, uh, freshwater um, issues and river management in the state. And, and we really look forward to, under Suzanne's leadership, expanding the, this program and the strategies that we're working on across Texas. So coming back to the San Saba here, um, you know, just tell us about a few of the specific transactions, what they look like. Yeah, you know, uh, lease agreements are probably the most common where uh, we enter into a, a five-year term with a landowner um, that, uh, that requires within that five-year term 
uh, one or two year or two season forbearance, which is driven by you know flows on the river. When flows drop, we request the that they uh, quit irrigating. It might be halfway through the irrigation season, and they discontinue that irrigation. We provide that water in river. Um, but also, you know, there are water users that uh, have an, an you know let's say a 500 acre foot allocation, um, and they're willing to reduce that allocation by some percentage, right? So we work with them to take that water, um, put it back in stream for a commitment of five or 10 years. Um, We've also worked on uh, irrigation efficiency projects that uh, have a commitment of the conserved water to be put back in stream. Um, So that could be, you know, uh, irrigation canal lining. It could be efficiency improvements. Um, I just met with a producer yesterday um, to to work with him. Uh, there's a new mobile drip irrigation system that's that's sort of being piloted down here. Um, we're working to install some uh, some soil moisture meters to really help him understand how this new technology that he's he's using is getting soil to the depths that he wants within uh, the soil profile put water to those depths, and uh, then he can make um, more informed decisions around when and how to, to irrigate. Um, so all of those things, whether it's, you know, uh, advancing the use of technology or, you know, supporting and uh, incentivizing irrigation efficiency upgrades or direct uh, lease agreements with, uh, with irrigators, those are all, you know, what we consider environmental water transactions. And each of those uh, th- those deal structures, those transactions are really based on um, how the water is being used, what the goals of the, you know, the conservation goal is for the river and, and what the producer, what their goals are um, for the water and, and how they, you know, how we can engage with them to, to you know, help them in, in, you know, shifting that behavior that has a conservation benefit. You know, when, I, I think about what you're saying there, and I think um, about, it's about 42%, I think, the USGS, U.S. Geological Survey, uh, estimates that water use in the United States is going for agriculture, about 42%. In California, it's 80%. In Texas, it's you know, 55, 50, 60%, yes, right something like that. And so it seems like, you know, you're, you're, you're really dealing with the, the, you know, sector of water where there is really the most gains that can be made. I mean. Yeah, that's right. I mean, irrigators um, or, or I should say agricultural, you know, irrigation is the primary user of water. It's the primary use sector of water in, in Texas. And so by necessity, the majority of our agreements focus on working with agricultural, you know, operators and irrigators. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, opportunity just to increase efficiency uh, to, to, you know, better manage these resources, but it has to be done thoughtfully. And, you know, the way that we work uh, with those irrigators is to try and gain some commitment of the conserved water back to in-stream flow. So it's not just that, an irrigator uh, can can increase his efficiency because that may just result in more water being used for additional crop. Um, you know what we try to focus on is incentivizing through payments or the, the purchase of equipment on um, shifting behavior around water use, but also committing that water where it's applicable to in-stream environmental flow. You know, you certainly see at least with regard to the Edwards Aquifer that. There are a lot of irrigators who, you know, they're, they're, um, you know, growing crops and they're, they're getting revenue off of that. But they're also at the same time, you know, leasing water rights. And, you know, that's another kind of, you know, source of, of income for them and uh, significant income for, for many of them. And, you know, now there's a lot of discussion about that in, you know, California's you know, really being, um, you know, the, the way that they are going to reduce the amount of water that's being used there and, and uh, address some of the issues like groundwater subsidence. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, really, really serious over there. 
And, um, you know, in, in many ways, you know, some of the things that have been done here in Texas have really kind of, you know, pioneered all that. Yeah, I think, you know, what we saw with the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act uh, in California is really promoting the use of markets uh, to facilitate, you know, conservation of water that, that has a number of benefits. And, um, it, it, and I think that, you know, the work that has been done in the, in the Edwards Aquifer is, is held up as a, you know, an example of how a functioning groundwater market can work to achieve those, you know, defined goals. And, and so it is, it is, you know, one of the primary examples of a, a healthy functioning water market. Um, and, you know, I think that from a groundwater perspective, that is, uh, is certainly difficult to do anywhere else in Texas outside of the Edwards. Um, but, you know, we continue to try to advance, um, you know, groundwater management, sustainable groundwater management, uh, through working directly with groundwater conservation districts on, you know, identifying opportunities to um, uh, to set, you know, realistic goals uh, that are based on, you know, uh, science and supported through data. As I said, you know, we've been working here for the past six years to uh, to collect both groundwater and surface water information. Uh, that can be used by local water managers. Um, and we continue to work with other GCDs and groundwater managers across the state uh, to, to do the same. GCDs, groundwater conservation districts. Um, so, uh, you know, thinking about the Edwards and, and what you're saying, you know, that market has now been functioning over 20 years. It's like, uh, I'm trying to think, you know, the permits were, Issued and I think they were finalized and finally, you know, finished that work maybe in 2000 or 2001. And so here we are 20 years later. And I know that the amount of uh, water that has been withdrawn uh, from the Edwards Aquifer in any one year uh, since the market has been functioning has never uh, reached the level of pumping that occurred prior to regulation. And I think it was in 89 was the peak pumping year. And aquifer pumping has been, I think that was, you know, about 542,000 acre feet of pumping in that one year. And I think for the most part, pumping has generally been about 100,000 acre feet less than that. And I don't think it's ever gotten, you know, anywhere near that previous record. And so, you know, that's, you know, kind of one example how that market has um, reduced overall pumping and uh, at the same time, you know, been uh, able to supply much of the need in that region. Um, So just a little commentary there for me. Um, So let's... uh, start thinking about what our listeners can do uh, to make a difference with regard to um, environmental water needs. What, what would you um, suggest there? Yeah, I think the best thing that, that we can do as, as water users is to just be more informed. You know, the knowledge and understanding allows us to all make better decisions related to our water use and, and stewardship of of rivers and our freshwater resources. Um, to that end, folks should check out TNC's uh, Texas Water Explorer. It's an online dashboard that allows you to view just a ton of information related to, to freshwater at a, a state level as well as locally. Um, and you can view reaches where hydrologic alteration and scarcity are occurring. You can look at biodiversity issues, water quality. Um, it's just a great resource for gaining a better understand, uh, understanding of uh, what's happening in Texas related to water. And so um, you kind of like anticipated there my last question, which is usually, you know, how can people learn more about the Nature Conservancy of Texas? Um, what's the uh, what's the web address for that? You know? Yeah, nature.org. Um, if you want to check us out at TNC. Also, we've got, you know, Twitter feed and uh, we're on Facebook. 
Um, and yeah, we're, we're constantly posting uh, great success stories of conservation around Texas from our partners and the work that we're doing. Um, and so go online, check us out. There's always something interesting to read. And I'll try to put the hyperlink to the water dashboard in uh, the description of the uh, podcast episode. That'd be great. So, Kyle, what's ahead for the Nature Conservancy of Texas? Well, we're continuing to advance our freshwater protection strategies statewide. So while we've completed transactions for more than 200,000 acre feet to date, we're going to continue to work toward more agreements with landowners and partners for long-term protection. We're going to continue to, to advance stewardship of our iconic river landscapes um, and, and work towards reservoir reoperation agreements that improve uh, river flows. We're also going to continue to advance the science that will inform better policy and freshwater management. You know, ultimately, I just want a future where my son and future generations of Texans can continue to enjoy these important freshwater systems. And we're going to keep pushing forward on conservation efforts to make that happen. Well, I think that's great. You know, I think there's a tendency for people to think that they can't really make a difference. But, um, you know, working individually or collectively, you know, people can make a difference with regard to water. And uh, some of the things that, that you all have done or examples of that for certain. Kyle, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Todd. It's been wonderful to finally get out in the field and record one of these episodes. And, you know, just sitting here overlooking the San Saban, what is a fantastic day, has just really been a lot of fun. This has been Talkless Water. My guest today was Kyle Garman the Water and Agriculture Program Director for the Nature Conservancy and their Texas office. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in and to say that if you enjoyed this episode of Talk This Water, please consider giving it a like. My name is Todd Bottler. Let's talk water again soon.